Welcome to Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. Today, we wrap up our interview with Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. Rivka has some great ideals and vision for continuing her ministry to the nations. Let's talk about it. If you didn't know, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Understanding and believing the Torah gives context to the rest of the Bible. You can email us at redpilltorah at gmail.com. Find us at our website, www.redpilltorah.com. Follow us on redpilltorah.podbean.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, or wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And a big shalom to our listeners in Utah and Israel. Listen out for Red Pill Torah on a radio station near you. I'm really glad that we took this Torah journey together. I feel like we're still traveling. I feel the same way. It is great to be traveling together. Mm -hmm. It's also great to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has plans to bless the whole world. We see that through the Tanakh, also known as the Old Testament. We'll hear more about that on today's podcast. I'm ready to listen. How about you? I'm ready. Then roll that tape. A Torah-based society where things are righteous and fair and and people will have the opportunity to be close to God. And all of the, the things that divide us and all of the things that cause chaos for us in this world will be repaired. There's a teaching that comes from the oral Torah, which that's a whole other thing we didn't even touch yet. But I will just tell you that that talks about the period preceding the arrival of this messianic figure that we call Mashiach. And that is basically a kind of a nightmare. Everything goes haywire. And... Um, Economically, things are problematic, and in, in people will become disrespectful to authority, and um, the, the just everything that we're seeing in terms of the sort of the bad news of what's going on in the world was all predicted by Jewish sages, and in a way, it gives me tremendous comfort because it's oh, I get this playbook, I understand this is the stage before before Mashiach comes and cleans all this up, mm-hmm. it has to be chaotic. One of the reasons why is because as human beings, we have a tendency to rely a little too much on our power, um, our ability to fix things. So, for example, when it comes to the issue of those in this region of the world who do not want to see the Jews in this land, we believe, I believe, and this comes from, from Torah teaching, that God gave the Jewish people a problem that was so complicated that no matter what we throw out at it on a human level, we can't fix it. No diplomatic or military or economic or political or name, you name it, effort that we can, um, that we can apply to this situation Mm -hmm. has helped. Everything either doesn't make any impact or just makes it worse. Why? We're supposed to be humble We're supposed to humble ourselves to the idea that there are some things that are out of our hands as human beings because there is a power greater than us that we have to learn to rely on. And what the easiest way to humble somebody is to give them a problem they cannot fix. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so this is a complicated, a very complicated situation that we find ourselves in, but it won't always be this way. And, uh, in the meantime, we have to do what we can, obviously, to preserve life and to preserve our right to be here. But I don't think this uh, the challenge that we have with the 
um, the people who question our right to be on this land is going to be solved by any human means. That's something that God himself through the agency of his messianic redeemer is going to have to fix. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. Wow. So uh, with regard to these people from the nations beginning to embrace Torah, is, is there a biblical basis for that that you see? So in Lighting Up the Nations, I, um, I created a chapter of scriptures that I came across that talk about sort of the inevitability that the nations will look to Israel, but also this idea that we spoke about that we'll all worship the same God mm-hmm. who created and sustains the universe. And I'll just, I'll share a couple of them with you. One of them comes from the book of Kings, from what you call First Kings, chapter 8, verses 41 and 43. I want to mention to you, by the way, that not in the first five books, but in some of the later books, there are some differences between Christian numbering and Jewish numbering. Yes. It's, it's, there's not a lot of them, but so I'm going to read you this verse, and I hope it's where I said this is where it is in a, in a Jewish text. Um, so First Kings chapter 8, verses 41 to 43 says, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray towards this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So this is King Solomon dedicating the first holy temple on Sukkot, on the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm not sure what you call this holiday. Mm -hmm. He specifically asked God to answer the prayers of, of foreigners who would come to the temple to pray. Now, both temples were built with non-Jewish assistance. So in the case of the first temple, Hiram, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Hiram, I'm not sure how you say that, offered King Solomon material assistance. And the second temple was built with the help of Cyrus, who was the ruler of Persia. Mm-hmm. So it should be a surprise to us that there will be righteous non-Jews who are going to be part of the construction of the third temple. The involvement of non-Jews emphasizes that these holy temples in Jerusalem, they were never intended just for the exclusive use of the Jews. Isaiah in uh, chapter 56, verse 7, reminds us that the Holy Temple was always intended to be, and there's a very famous passage, a house of prayer for all nations. So there's one. I have a few more. You want to hear more? Yeah, please. Oh, definitely. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, this is very famous. And it shall be at the end of days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be firmly established at the top of the mountains, and it shall be raised above the hills, and all nations shall stream to it. And many peoples shall go, and they shall say, Come, let us go up to the Lord's mount, to the house of the God of Jacob, and let him teach us of his ways. That's what I'm trying to do. And we will go in his paths, for out of Zion shall come shall the Torah come forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the word at the end of days is a reference to this time, this messianic time, this redemptive time when evil will cease to exist. Um, there's one rabbi, his name, we know him as the Vilna Gon, who suggested that the streaming will be literal. That is, people who live outside of Israel will stream to the temple across waterways, by, like by boat. Hmm. Um, or that the stream will be a beacon of light that's going to come out of the third temple and will attract the attention of everybody outside of Israel. 
And it this this passage also refers to a teacher of the nations, which is either a reference to God himself or to the Messianic Redeemer who will teach God's ways to people from the nations. Mm-hmm. The nations will want to come and visit mm-hmm. because they'll understand that it will be the source of moral instruction, God's law, and so forth. So that isn't obviously happening in its fullness yet, but that's what I think we are living through. That's what we're seeing is people from the nations are already beginning to be attracted to Israel, to be attracted to Torah, to be attracted to, and we don't even have the third temple yet. Can you imagine how big this will get? Mm -hmm. And the Jewish people need to be ready to respond because we have, you know, we have what to say. I'll just, I'll go a little further later on in Isaiah chapter 60, verse three, the nation shall go by your light and Kings by the brilliance of your shine. The nations will eventually be drawn to the spiritual light that shines from the Torah in Israel. One more, if I may, Jeremiah chapter 31 verses nine through 11. This verse, this talks about how the nations will recognize God's hand in redeeming the Jewish people and that they will want to come and celebrate with us. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it on the islands from afar and say, he who scattered Israel will gather them together and watch them as a shepherd his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and saved him out of the hand of him who is stronger than he. That may be a reference to our current enemies who don't want us to be here. Mm-hmm. And they shall come and jubilate on the height of thine, and they will stream to the goodness of the Lord over corn, wine, and oil, over sheep and cattle, meaning will have nice meals. Um, and their souls shall be like a well-watered garden and they shall have no further worry at all. So again, the nations will come to recognize. And, and sometimes some of the people that I work with tell me what kind of flip things for them is they were always taught that God doesn't want anything to do with the Jewish people anymore. And then along comes the state of Israel in 1942. And that flips that theology on its head mm-hmm. because that's exactly what he promised. He gave the land back mm-hmm. to to this people. So it, we we see this unfolding in a we have eyes to see. It's unfolding but in a very gradual way and it can just look to somebody like this is just the news of the day. Or it can if you take a bigger picture, it can look like something more exciting is going on and something with a final destination. Yeah, it um, does look that way to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me too. That's a mouthful. My goodness. Um isn't it nice to be living in historic times? It is. It is. And when you had said streaming, um, the word of God streaming, I was thinking right. about uh, your class. Well, okay. So first of all, the truth is that COVID and the you know, the lack of, of travel to Israel for a couple of years kind of killed Torah School for the Nations. But for a few years, we met in person in Jerusalem for a full day of Torah study taught by Orthodox Jews expressly for current and former Christians interested in studying Torah from Jews. We covered mostly biblical topics because that's what we share, some basic Hebrew, some lessons from the land of Israel. The school came from a vision of mine, but not only mine, like I'm not the only one thinking of this, that someday there would be places in Israel where non-Jews can come and study Torah from the Jewish people for a day, for a week, for a month or longer. Mm -hmm. For Jews, especially young Jews today, such programs exist all over Israel, and there's in hundreds of different flavors, like whatever your door in, there's a school for you. And I wanted to provide that for non-Jews. So I wanted to start with something. Um, when tourism to Israel shut down, we couldn't function anymore. And that's when I started this this next project 
women from the nations in the Hebrew Bible because it's a way to teach without people having to actually physically come to Israel. There's lots of people who are teaching online. Um, and I had this other idea, which I haven't implemented yet, but I'll mention it to you because maybe someday I will. There's, there's a project in the Jewish community called Partners in Torah. And basically what you get is somebody who knows a little bit more Torah matched with somebody who knows a little bit less. And they meet for an hour one-on-one -on, -one on the phone and they study whatever the student is interested in studying. And I thought this would be very interesting. I don't know what I would call it, but to have an Orthodox Jewish teacher teaching a non-Jew, whatever they're interested in studying mm -hmm. for one-on-one -on -one for an hour a week. I don't know that it doesn't exist yet. It's just in my head. Um, but it personalizes the relationship, obviously, because you're meeting with somebody one-on-one -on -one, and gives people who are interested a Jewish teacher to to go to. So from my perspective, I, don't, I think it's very important that people on this path hear teachings from Jews. But sometimes the teachings are like it, there's a lot of Hebrew and a lot of concepts that are assumed that you know because they're teaching Jews. And it's it can be hard for an adult who's kind of, you know, on this path to find their way in. So it has to be sort of tailored. Now, one of the one of the things that I discovered is that there's a whole blossoming of publishing of books that are written by Jewish teachers explicitly for a non-Jewish audience. And I, I have, I made a whole bibliography about them and I try to buy those books whenever I can because they open up Torah from a Jewish perspective, but without expecting um, a whole bunch of background knowledge. So mm -hmm. everything's translated or basic concepts are explained not because people are not intelligent but because it's just not their it's not their background right so um so that's also happening and so torah school for the nations right now is is a brilliant idea that was so amazing when it was functioning um and right now it's a little bit on hiatus till i figure out you know what the what the next step is but the the effort doesn't end Okay. The effort to build relationships, the effort to teach Torah, just maybe the, the format that it's in. I have done, and it looks like you guys did your homework and you've seen some, um, some videos here and there, um, that I've done trying to explain some Jewish concepts that was when Torah School for the Nations was meeting during the holidays, during the biblical feast, because that's when the majority of our students were in the land. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, then there's many, many months when they're not. So I was trying to do, I did a series of, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 video, I don't remember, of just explaining some basic Jewish concepts um, for that audience. So I'm always looking for for ways to share to share what I can for people who are interested in what how Jews understand things and, and the Torah from that perspective. Okay, well, that clears things up for me because um, I was introduced to it by the snippets that you had on YouTube. And I thought it was really, really interesting. I didn't know if there were longer classes on YouTube or, as you mentioned, um, it's actually in person for people who are visiting Israel. You know, I, I appreciate that. I feel like I have more ideas and more more goals than I have time for. Uh, and I have to figure out like what is the best way for me as one person what is the best way for me to continue to keep these keep these lines of communication open, keep meeting people like you guys, 
um, keep building relationships and um, and keep teaching in in whatever ways that are number one authentic kosher and also that respect one another's boundaries. Mm -hmm. So there's no shortage of content to teach, um, but Hashem has given us all a finite amount of time. And I, that's, that's my way of saying, I love the idea, but I don't know how I'm going to find time for <laughs> to do it. I did have an idea. I did have an idea actually of doing a podcast. I want to do a limited podcast, like 10 episodes, me interviewing people like you, to introduce to the Jewish community people who come from a Christian background who have, actually, I don't even know if it's true about you, I'm going to assume because we're friends now, um, who have given up. Tim, it was really great to meet Rivka. She shared so much great insight over the last three episodes. And I pray that her work is prosperous in every good way. I do too, Mama. And I really appreciated the way Rivka explained how Hashem is concerned about Jewish people and people who are not Jewish. We've met some people who want to keep Hashem to themselves. I think Rivka wants everyone to know him. I agree. And she wasn't shy about sharing scriptures that show God's interest in people who are and who are not Jewish. Having heard what Rivka shared, what would you do if you discovered that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were out of line with God's instructions? Would you take the blue pill and try to keep his love to yourself? Or would you take the red pill? and find ways to share God's love. Only you can answer that question. One day, the whole earth will know God, and no one will need a teacher. Until then, thank God for Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler. Well, that's all we have time for today. Tell a friend about Red Pill Torah, and thanks for spending a little more than 15 minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you can handle the truth. truth.